0: Good morning, everyone. So some, some big prayers and some big worship in terms of what it says and, and what we're committing ourselves to when we hear it. I wonder if we could begin this morning with uh, a piece of really upfront honesty, which is that sometimes <clears throat> Christian life seems impossible, doesn't it? Some of you maybe have been afraid to admit it, but it's been nagging at you for a while. When I was 20 years old, from the outside, the Christian life to me looked completely unattainable. For those who followed Christ, it seemed to infiltrate every part of their life. It affected how they spent their money. It affected how they conducted their love and relationships. It affected their entertainment choices, what they listened to, what they watched, what they didn't. And I couldn't possibly imagine how you could come to understand, much less follow, all the mountains of rules and regulations there must be for the Christian life. Furthermore, the Christian life seemed filled with strange experiences, and it had this whole other language that no one else used. People who followed Christ would just say things like, God spoke to me, or I was praying and fasting last week. Or, uh, I felt the spirit move. I couldn't imagine how a normal person would ever uh, come to have experiences like that, much less that they would just talk about it, um, unless they were, you know, a little emotionally unstable. I had role models for this sort of stuff in my life. My dad was very Christian, my martial arts instructor was very Christian. So, between those two, I had someone right in front of me almost every waking hour. But how they got to be that way was a mystery to me that was shrouded somewhere in the past. I thought maybe if I had been alive when Jesus was alive, I had heard all this stuff from Jesus and seen him, it might, it might make it easier. But uh, 2,000 years after the fact, it just seemed unattainable. And I don't know if anyone else relates to this this morning. You don't have to stick your hand up or anything. I think we've said it. Sometimes a Christian faith just seems impossible but then I had a darker thought what if the Christian life isn't impossible what if the secret is that my dad and my martial arts instructor uh, were just really strong people who decided they were going to follow Christ and learn all that stuff and they simply did it because I had decided even at 20 to do a lot of things before I remember looking in the mirror one time and thinking, I'm going to be a more obedient son. I am not going to cause my parents all these problems anymore. I remember one time watching a TV commercial with my brother. And in the TV commercial, there's this little junior high kid and he's doing his homework. He looks like he's having a terrible time. And then his older brother sweeps in with this large pizza from Pizza Hut. And my brother says, I wish I had a big brother like that. And I remember walking, I know, uh, but I remember walking out of the room thinking, I can be that, I can be a cool older brother, I don't have to be the way I am, and I remember thinking, I'm going to be the coolest boyfriend a girl ever had, and I remember thinking, I'm going to be the toughest, most skilled black belt in the world, all I have to do is keep showing up the train, I'm already on my way, in my lawn mowing business, man, I'm going to rake in a huge pile of cash, wait till you see what I have by next summer, but in every single case, when I decided to do this stuff, I would quickly fall off the wagon i i wasn't the most obedient son i was not even close to a cool older brother i was not the coolest boyfriend a girl ever had i was not the most skilled black belt in the room much less in the world and my lawn mowing business my five to six customers were frequently dissatisfied so i did not (laughs) did not rake in big money I'm just not a strong person. I had to admit, although I put up a lot of posturing, I'm not the type of person who's just going to decide to be more Christian. I knew if I tried to pray, I'd keep it up for a while. And if I tried to spend my money the way a Christian should for the good of the world, I'd do it, you know, until something interesting came along. And as far as the sins, the treating people bad and lying and pornography and all of it, I knew I could come to Jesus and fly right for, you know, a week. M- maybe not all of a week. The secret to faith, I was afraid to admit, might just be a level of character or a level of interest that I just didn't have. In the upper room, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gave these words to his disciples. If you love me, obey my commandments. Later, he says, Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Perhaps the horrifying truth is, I just don't love Jesus. Those words I just read to you in some of your Bibles, some Bible publishers will put a little heading, makes you feel like you're reading some chapters. They'll put a heading above this that says, Jesus comforts his disciples. That doesn't sound comforting. To me when I read it. And yet they sell millions of these things. So somebody thinks this is comforting. So maybe, maybe I'm not getting the whole message. Let's read it again Jesus' last words in the upper room. Let's read it all. Let's see if we can find what the heck about this is supposed to be comforting. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Okay, so this passage says if we obey his commandments, he'll send his help to obey his commandments. So this is one of those verses you don't want to miss because it contains the whole trinity of God because you have the Son asking the Father to send the Spirit. So don't miss that. And it says, if you start to follow Jesus, Jesus will ask the Father to send the Spirit who will lead us in the truth into the Christian life that will help us follow him even better. All right, the Greek word Jesus uses for who he's going to send is the paraclete. Now, your Bible, if it's old-fashioned, will just say, I'll send you the paraclete. Mine says, I'll send you the advocate. Yours might say, I'll send you the counselor. Yours might say, I'll send you the comforter. It's all fine because those are all English words that if you mash them together, get at what Jesus said he was going to send in in, in the paraclete. The paraclete is the very presence of God. And it's the presence of God who strengthens us when we are weak, comforts us when we are worried, guides us when we are confused and lets us rest assured that someone is before the throne of God day and night pleading our case in the cosmic courtroom of the universe. All that in that one word. In verse 17, he goes on. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So now Jesus is, last week he told us he is the father. This week he's telling us he's also the spirit. If you know him, you know the father. Now he's saying if you know me, you'll also recognize the spirit. Because the three, though separate, are also one. In this verse, it says faith only seems unattainable to people who don't know to look for the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will not abandon you as orphans. So these are not words of judgment. These are uh, words of comfort. These are words of comfort and love that says I'm going to come and help you do this thing called faith. He goes on, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me since I live you will also, uh, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So this is the night before the crucifixion, right? And they're in the upper room, and he's just told these guys, guys, it's about to get really bad, so hang on. But you're about to see me raised from the dead, And when you see that miracle, you can be sure that this other miracle I'm promising you about the presence of the Holy Spirit will also come true. Then, after he says that, he says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. Which means that if you obey Jesus because you love him, The Father will love you and send you the Spirit so that you can see Christ clearly and feel His power in your life. So, chicken and egg here, how much do we have to follow Him before He'll send us this help to follow Him? I don't know exactly. It looks like at least some. It looks like at least some. Here's how I'm clinging to this verse. When it comes to entertainment choices and what you watch and all that, if pornography is my thing and I like it, he won't send the Holy Spirit to force me to stop. And if, if, in relationships and love, if, if I rage against my wife and children, but I feel completely justified in it because they aren't respecting me like they should, he won't send the Holy Spirit to change me against my will, though he may send the Spirit to rescue my wife and kids from me. When it comes to money, if my attitude is that I made this money, I can spend it any way I like. Thank you. Jesus will not come possess me with the Holy Spirit. However, if I'm beginning to say my way of doing things is not cutting it. I am some kind of a fool. I don't want this life. I don't want to be this way. I want a new life. I'm ready for a new way then Jesus will send me the much-needed help of the Holy Spirit to do that thing called faith. All right. Still, though, how much changing, how much obeying, how much wanting to change do I need to do first before Jesus will send the Holy Spirit to help? I still don't know precisely. But I do have this story, that on the night Jesus said this to the disciples in that upper room, Like, 30 minutes after he said it, they ran away and abandoned Jesus while he was arrested. One of those guys denied he even knew who Jesus was when Jesus really could have used a friend. Another one of those guys, even after he saw Jesus risen from the dead, said, I actually don't believe it's you unless I can touch that wound in your hand. So they didn't have a lot of faith, and they didn't have a lot that they were doing right. Even so, he gave all those guys the power of the Holy Spirit. Evidently, they had enough. So it doesn't take as much as we would think. That's Hearing that story is where I learned this is not a contract love. This is not a love that says, if you'll get it mostly right, I will help you come in and finish up the details. This is a covenant love that says, if you want to try this, I will come and help you perfect it. If you want to try this, God says, I will come and help you perfect it. As near as I can tell, wanting to love Jesus is the seed that can grow into loving Him. Wanting to obey Jesus is the seed that can grow into obeying Him. And the Holy Spirit is the sunlight and the water God sends for that seed. So how does this happen in, in, a, in a person's life? Since there are two billion Christians on earth, I imagine there are two billion different stories on how it happens. So I only know my story, and I'll, I'll tell it to you. But I, I apologize to those of you who are not uh, teenagers or in your 20s, because that's where a lot of my story is framed but I think if you use a little creative listening, you can imagine similar situations that you are in in your stage of life where this same sort of thing could happen to you. So my story begins with the release of the movie Predator 2. I love Predator 2. I know it's the, it's the dumbest of the whole series. We go with Danny Glover and Gary Busey and- but I loved it, and we loved it back then. And we loved the big honking guns that they toted around. So we got, a, I, this is going somewhere, I promise. So we got, a, we got a bunch of PVC pipe and some duct tape and some wooden barrels, and we made these giant multi-barreled guns. And it was just a few weeks before 4th of July. So we went down and got Roman candles and bottle rockets and put it in all those piping and all linked it to one fuse so you'd light one fuse and release a storm of vengeance. So we got them all loaded up. We went down to a cul-de-sac at the edge of our neighborhood, and we're going to shoot our Predator 2 guns. So bottle rockets do not fly in a predictable path on a good day. But mine were bouncing around inside of a tube, and so by the time they came out, the sticks were broken, and they literally could just go anywhere. So I lit my fuse, and you know, out they came. And it went about half a block down into the driveway of a man who was out there uh, just trying to shoot some smoke bombs and, and snap pops with his toddler's. So I, of course, just reloaded and just fired it again, and I'll be darned if it didn't go right down the street again, same driveway, and this time blew up uh, one foot in front of that guy's face. And he came unhinged, and we ran for our lives, But, but we were laughing too. Now, when I went to bed that night, I don't know exactly what happened, but I could not stop thinking about that man. I could not stop thinking about how here's this guy and he just wants to be out in his driveway with his toddlers and some idiots are shooting bottle rockets at him. And I I couldn't stop thinking about how someone could have gotten hurt and it could have been one of those little kids. And all he heard was us laughing, you know. I did not sleep well. I woke up in the morning, the feeling was still there. I don't know. I know now. I didn't know. I couldn't stand it anymore. It was 9 a.m. on a Saturday. I walked down the street. I knocked on that guy's door. I said, I was the one shooting those bottle rockets last night, and I wanted to apologize. He was very grumpy, and he did not accept my apology, and it did not go well. But as I was walking home, I felt a voice I did not recognize say, "Uh, that was the right thing to do you want to do more like this? You want to keep going this way? I don't know. So then school started. So my senior year in high school, I had uh, in cages in my garage, snakes. I will not tell you how many snakes, because it would really gross you out, but Lots and lots and lots. And the school district would let me out for a full day to go around the junior highs and elementary schools and do all-day presentations on snakes, so long as all my teachers signed my permission slip for the day. So my senior year, I was out about one day a week serving the school district in that way. But one day, we had a group project in theater, and my theater teacher said, No, I need you here. And uh, so she didn't sign it. So I forged her signature and went and did it anyway. And I was immediately caught. And uh, I don't know what happened to the vice principals, but I ended up having to go to the building principal. And I sat down. And he goes, well, what happened? And I go, and, and then I immediately, as I was walking there, I felt this voice again. So he said, well, what happened? And I said, I lied. And I'm not proud of it. And it's not who I want to be. And it's not who I'm becoming. And he kind of rocked back in his chair. I don't think he was used to people saying that sort of thing. And uh, as I walked back to my classroom, I heard that voice again say, that was the right thing to do. Do you want to keep going this way? Do you want to keep doing this? For the next couple of years and, and through college, I, I kept yielding to this voice, and finally it started to get down, peeling the layers of who I was until we got down to the, a really dark core Truthfully, it's some stuff I don't want to talk about. I'll just say, it was bad. It was bad. And the Holy Spirit saying, do you want this removed too? And I remember crying my eyes out sitting there in bed, and finally I just said, Lord Jesus, because by now I'd figured out what was going on. I said, I don't want to be what I am anymore. I want to become what you seem to be wanting me to become, so ah, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go there. Whatever you want me to lay aside, I'll lay it aside. I've made a complete wreck of things, obviously. I don't know. You know, here's the the keys to my life, Lord. Take them all. If there's any keys I'm hiding somewhere, you can pat me down and take them too. I want to be what you want me to be. And I know, Lord, you've forgiven me and made a way for this to happen. I see what has happened on the cross, so there's nothing between you and me but me. So I remove me. It was like I could see a little faint trail of light. I did not see a faint trail of light. It was like I could see like a faint trail of light or something that was leading me roughly in the direction of God come into view. And when I reached up and took hold of it, I learned that it was not a trail of pixie dust. It was a tail of a comet. Because when I took hold of it, it jerked me out of my shoes and took me halfway across the universe such that by the next year, A year later, I was one of those people walking around saying, God spoke to me. I was one of those people walking around saying, I was fasting and praying last week, and uh, I felt the Spirit move. Within a year's time, my whole world was becoming faith. It affected how I spent my money. It affected how I conducted my love and relationships. It affected my entertainment choices, what I watched, what I didn't watch. In the fourth century... St. Chrysostom preached this same section of the Gospel of John that I'm preaching to you. And he describes this comet's tail effect that it had on the disciples. This is St. Chrysostom from the 4th century. He says, After receiving the Spirit, men who had been fearful and trembling precipitated themselves into the midst of dangers and were ready to face the sword and fire and wild beast and the sea and every sort of punishment. "'Furthermore, men who were simple and unlettered,' so he means ignorant and uneducated, "'discourse, spoke with such eloquence "'as to astonish their hearers. "'For the Spirit transformed them "'into instruments of steel instead of clay "'and gave them wings "'and did not permit them to quail "'before any human agency.' Let us, therefore, attract to ourselves the invincible aid of the Spirit by keeping the commandments, and we shall not be inferior to angels. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Those four words might be the crux of of the whole, it's five words, uh, crux of the whole gospel. I will come to you, Jesus says. From the Christmas story to the cross to the Holy Spirit, the message is always the same. I will come to you my best advice, if you're beginning to feel those leadings of the Spirit, because it turns out the Spirit does go first. He gives us a little leading. The obeying is our response. But when you start to get those little leadings, don't ignore them. Don't ignore them. I believe if you obey enough of them, you'll begin to seal that faint trail, come into view, and I encourage you to reach up and take the comment by the tail. Perhaps that's what the season of Lent really is. It's a season where we say, Lord God, make me who you want me to be. I hold my whole life, my whole key ring to my life up to you. This is every aspect of who I am. I give all these keys to you. Don't we wish everyone could have this Holy Spirit to guide them to Jesus in faith? Well, the disciples wished that too. Um, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, poor guy, said to him, Lord, why are you... He's not going to get any hospitals named after him. (laughs) He says, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. So he's saying... uh, One life at a time. Judas, I am going to reveal myself to the world at large, but one life at a time. I'm going to reveal myself one man at a time, one woman at a time, one boy at a time, one girl at a time. They're all going to have this tiny mustard seed size faith, but I'll show them the comet's tail and when they take a hold of it, I will send my presence. I will make them into a totally new person. He continues. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. I am telling you, uh, what I am telling you is from my Father who sent me. So anyone not interested will not be forced, not overwhelmed by some miracle. Now we all know, right, that if God wanted to, he could this afternoon tear a huge gaping hole in the sky, you know, just left of the moon, and peek through and say, hey, here I am, and here's my son Jesus. Now follow him. And the whole world who saw that, at least out of fear, would bow down and worship Jesus. However, God must not want those types of children. Because he's not doing it that way, he's doing it this way. He does it this way, with a little mustard seed of faith and a leading by the invisible spirit and a risen Christ. He must want to do it that way. He wants the opportunity to ask each of us one at a time, do you want this? So, do you want this? Uh, we can pray together this morning. I want to encourage you, if you're beginning to get these leadings from the Spirit that says, hey, change that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, make that right. Hey, think about that differently. Heed those. Those are the beginning. If my story is representative, and it may not be, but for, if my story is representative, it's going to be you're going to make one little decision at a time in Jesus' name. Little things. And then you'll have an opportunity to do another one months later. And then you'll see that comet's tail come into view. For some of you, that comet's tail has led you right into this sanctuary. There's nothing else that would lead you to a place like this other than God's Holy Spirit. And if you reach up and take hold of it, I'm telling you, in a year's time, you won't even recognize yourself. In a good way, you won't even recognize yourself. Is there anyone else able to amen that experience? Something like that happened to you? Is there anyone else in the room? Not very many. I don't hear a single amen. So, okay, there's one. Thank you. One other person's had this experience. So, oh, and another one over here. All right. Uh, Who relates to this sort of experience in your life? Yeah. So there are some. There's going to be other forms as well. There's going to be other forms as well. So why don't we stop now and let's pray. Let's pray for all those who are ready to take hold. Now, if you're not ready to take hold... Uh, Just bow your head and hear these words and think, think. What would it be like if I did pray something like that? All right, let's pray together. Father, we come today, some of us are ready to say, doing it our way has brought us to this point. Father, we want to cling to something true. We want to cling to something powerful. We want to cling to something real and loving. Our way hasn't brought us that, so Lord, we confess our way and our sin has not uh, made us into the person that we know you made us to be, so this morning we say, wherever you want me to go, we'll go there. Whatever you want us to do, we will do that. Whatever you want us to lay aside, we will lay that aside. Whatever you want us to make right, we will make it right. Lord, we turn over to you all the keys of our life, and if there's keys we're still hiding on ourselves, we give you permission to search us out and find them and take those too, Lord, there's nothing between us but us. We see on your cross, your life given. Your forgiveness is freely offered. You went first. And we just have to accept it and respond. This morning, Lord, we accept it and respond. We pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and change us and guide us and lead us into all truth because we don't have the strength to decide this stuff on our own. We have to have your presence and help. And this morning, we welcome it. We become a follower of Christ in his name who made all this possible, who told us to look for this. Now, we're not going to say amen because we're going to continue to pray. Now, we're going to pray with our body and we're going to pray with symbol. And so, if the servers will want to come forward, what you're going to do is uh, first, you uh, you will stand up because in the Christian life, don't do it yet, because in the Christian life, you stand up and then you'll walk as a prayer because in the Christian life it's a journey you walk and when you come down here to the front you tear off a piece of bread because even in this upper room Jesus said this bread is my body broken for you and when you take that bread and tear it off a piece you dip it in the cup because he said then this cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins there's nothing between us and notice that it's your hand that takes it and dips it. So he did all the breaking and the bleeding and the dying, but your hand has to accept it. And you have to take it into yourself. But then it's in there and it permeates. It becomes part of you. His presence becomes part of you. His forgiveness redeems you. We're going to add, we're gonna add uh, to our prayer and symbols this morning. I'm going to uh, put on this crazy looking thing. This is a stole. It's meant to represent an ox yoke. So, you know, some stylish person in the Middle Ages decided that it would be prettier if it looked like this. But it really represents like an ox yoke. Like as a pastor, I'm a servant of God who got saddled up and I just go where he leads, okay? So that's what this means. Um, And if you want, you can step over here and uh, Pastor Marta or I, she'll be over there, uh, will anoint you with oil. This is a symbol, of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So like scented olive oil, you put it on your forehead, it soaks in. This oil is not magic, it doesn't put the Holy Spirit in you, it's a symbol of what is happening. So if you want, when you get to the head of this aisle, you can step over here, and we have the prayer on the screen, I think, uh, do we? Um, Yeah, and you'll just say that. I want to follow Jesus. And then we'll say, then receive the Holy Spirit. And then you can curve back over here for communion. Um, for some of you, uh, this might be the first time you've ever done this, or the first time in a long time, or first time with this intensity. So I have a little pamphlet here you can pick up. It says, today I want to become an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. It gives you some things you can do just this week to begin your spiritual journey. So it doesn't need to seem unattainable. You have the Holy Spirit to guide you, and a piece of paper too. So pick up one of those if, uh, if that sounds right for you. And we'll continue in our prayer in this way. So come down the aisle. You come over for anointing here if you want. Um, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, take it into yourself, and then sit down and we will, we'll close all together. we got some good stuff for the ending as well. So come forward let us continue in our prayer. Amen. Let us stand together. We're going to end uh, with giving a blessing to each other. We're going to read the last words Jesus said in that upper room before they walked out and started toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you don't know what happened there, you will in the weeks to come. But these are the last words said in that room. So we'll read them together. Uh, I'll read the small ones and and you read the big bold. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I, told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen. So that if you make it happen you will I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world, the devil, approaches. He has no power but I will do what the Father requires of me. Come, let's be going. Amen.